shine so they can keep track of where everybody is and stay together. It doubles that they look bigger than they actually are to keep predators away. The last animal here that I have is the star-nosed mole. Now these are weird looking things. They look for like alien, um, an alien creature of some sort. Um, when I was in school, I did a research project on one of these guys and I found out that the nose on them is super sensitive. Now scientists have done experiments with them and found that their nose is so sensitive, it actually takes a second for the brain to process what it has just found. So you could put a worm in front of these guys. They will pass over it first, looking like they've missed it, and come back because their brain is processed. That was food. Go back. Now, this, this kind of amazing creative powers and, and uh, amazing design is not only limited to things in the animal kingdom. It's actually in humans as well. So our bones are incredibly strong. In fact, a matchbook-sized bone can support about nine tons. Now, just to put that in perspective, that's as much as a T-Rex weighs. So a tiny matchbook-sized uh, a square of bone could support a T-Rex, technically, which is amazing to think of how strong they are. Um, we also have a specialized uh, filtering system in our body to filter toxins out of our blood. The kidneys. Now, these kidneys have a... Um, you can see in the one picture here, uh, these are the micro, this is a microscopic view of the filters. These filters actually filter about... Uh, 1.3 liters of blood every minute. Now, if we do the calculation on that, that's about 1,800 liters a day, which works out to about 900 pop bottles of blood. That's how much these little filters in this organ filter through your blood. Now, if we move up a little bit, we have the lungs. And the lungs have their own interesting design. You see, because the blood has to pick up the oxygen to move it to all sorts of parts of the body. That means they have to, the blood cells have to go through these little tiny um, uh, vessels called capillaries, one by one. So we see in the one picture that um, those are the blood cells actually lined up in this capillary. Now, the lungs have so many capillaries in them that if you laid them all end to end, they would, travel, they would span the distance of Los Angeles to Atlanta, Georgia in a single person's lung, which is amazing. Now, these are very interesting things. And for me, creation holds a special, a special place in my heart because that's where I started my, um, I guess, uh, adventure into looking into Christianity on my own. Um, and one of the things that just blows me away is all of these things, yeah, they were created, but, you know, engineers can create a car, and that's pretty cool too, right? Combustion engine, that was invented. A computer, you know, computers are great. But one thing that sets all of these things apart is that they were all created out of nothing. Now, there's a special term for this, a fancy Latin term, and it's called ex nihilo. And it's just a fancy Latin term that you'll hear if you do a lot of study on uh, creation. Um, and it just means that God created everything out of nothing. And that's not just like, you know, I'm holding nothing, because there's still something there. There's still air. But he actually made it out of nothing. Now, this creative power is not only held um, in 
the creation and the things we can see around him. But he also, God also uses this creative power in and through our salvation. Um, and that's what I'm going to be talking to you about today. Um, so this summer series, um, we're looking at some of the most popular Bible verses um, that uh, Brent found on a, on a website, a Bible study tool website. Um, the verse that I was tax, uh, tasked with looking at is uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17. So you can see it up on the screen here. Uh, and it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, on the face of it, I looked at this verse and I was like, yeah, that seems like a simple verse. Simple to understand. Seems simple. It's a conclusion. Okay. But when I started thinking about it a little bit more, okay, but what does it mean by a new creation? You know, my old has passed away. Does that mean he cleaned me up? Like, what, what exactly does this entirely entail? Um, so, because e- even me as a Christian, when I became a Christian, I didn't look any outler- outwardly different. I mean, we look the same. Um, some of us, you know, even don't feel different when we become a Christian. And those are normal things um, to begin with. Um, so we have to look at, uh, if we break down the verse, we see that um, it, therefore um, is the first uh, word. And that means that this is actually a conclusion to a bigger statement. Um, so as Brent suggested, we look at the bigger context of it. So if we go back um, and look at um, the verses before it, uh, we take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 14 to 15, um, which says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in these verses, um, Paul references Christ's death, um, that he's paid for our sins, basically. Um, God sees our sinful life as ended. It's paid in full. Justice has been served for the Christian. Okay? Elsewhere in uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Romans, uh, we see references to this death also. So in Romans um, chapter 6, uh, verses 4, we see, uh, Paul says, uh, We were buried, therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now that's important, in the newness of life. The new creation, or the new life that Paul's talking about in both passages, is special. It's very unique. Um, And it's just as miraculous as the first creation that we see in Genesis 1. It's just as miraculous as all those creatures. It's just as miraculous as all those facts about the human body and how they were designed. The Bible tells us some key um, details about this new creation or this new life um, and the Christian experiences. So in John 1, 12 to 13, um, it says, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were uh, born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John 1.13 lays out um, an interesting uh, set of standards, right? So it says basically that we didn't inherit it from somebody earthly, right? So it wasn't because, you know, my grandfather was a good guy, so therefore I'm justified with God. 
That's not how we got it. Um, and we ourselves, of our own will, didn't decide and can't decide um, to get better just because we want to. And most importantly, this verse also indicates that God isn't just cleaning up our old self. He's not taking our old self and, you know, slowly changing parts out on it. But it's rather, it's a new creation and, and uh, totally new. So what exactly does this creation give us? Uh, well, this new creation gives us a new perspective on life. The, the Christian... Um, has a new perspective on things. Um, and the easiest way I found um, to get wrap my head around this was with a Mr. Bean sketch. Um, Mr. Bean's great. He has lots of good um, life lessons that you learn when you watch his show. So, I mean, it, it, it hit me when I was watching this, this one clip. Basically, um, in the clip, Mr. Bean, he goes to a public swimming pool. Um, and at this public swimming pool, he's looking around, and he sees the high dive board. And the high dive board, you know, that is, you know, the spotlight comes down and, oh, yeah, the high dive board, that's great. I'm going to get that. You know, and he's thinking, yes, this will be great. Um, he walks up the stairs. He walks past, you know, the one in the middle there and looking at, watches the kid jump off of it. And, yeah, yeah the high dive board's way better anyways. Keith continues up. He gets up to the top there. And that's great. He's, you know, strutting. You know, this is great. This is what I came here to do, I'm going to conquer this high dive board. He gets to that edge and looks down, and then, oh my goodness, my perspective has changed. I no longer can do this. And his perspective on the high dive board all of a sudden flips when he sees what it entails. But, you know, it's too late. You're there. And so he has to jump off of this high dive board, and he ends up dangling off and falling, being pushed off by a bunch of kids. And this, this again, is no different um, when you compare it to the change in perspective that we um, experience. Um, for example, um, one that comes to mind for me was buying a house. You know, I saw a great house. I thought, oh, yeah, this is the perfect house. And that was me. You know, the high dive board is my house. This is a great house. It has, uh, I'll have no problem taking care of it. You know, I'm pretty handy after all. Um, you know, I really like the way the yard looks. There's lots of space there, you know, because I've been eyeing up an ATV and dirt bike, you know, and it'll give me lots of space to run around with that. Um, so, you know, I go and I buy it, and I'm feeling great about it and all this. Um, and after the first couple of months, you know, I realize you know, the bills start coming in for the mortgage, and then there's some um, maintenance that has to be done. The, the well pump stops working. Um, the windows need to be redone. Oh, no, I've just realized what I've gotten myself into. And my perspective has changed. Uh, but it's too late. <laughs> so, and we're locked in. Um, but, I mean, again... That's just one for me. It may be different for everyone. Um, different things change perspective. Having children, again, is, is a different change in perspective. And it doesn't necessarily have to be bad change in perspective either. There's some great things about owning a house and owning a home or having a child, uh, going to university, um, or moving out on your own. Um, there are some bad things. But lots of people, we experience this change in perspective. Um, 
So, and, and Paul writes in this, about this change in perspective. So in 2 Corinthians, uh, actually in the verses just above there, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.16, he actually, uh, he writes, For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So what does that mean? Well, before becoming a Christian, Paul had a different perspective on Christ. Um, he persecuted Christians, and he, he wanted to track them down. And, and, uh, but why did he do this? Well, this guy claimed to be God. There were claims of miracles. Maybe Paul experienced or saw some people from miracles. He's got to be thinking, you know, this guy is nuts, right? And, and that's what he was. And this is no different than today. This is a prevalent theory. As Brent mentioned last week, actually, um, he quoted, or he, he's referred to C.S. Lewis, um, and it's something called the Great Trilemma, and it dates back to the 1700s. Um, it was made famous by C.S. Lewis in his uh, book, uh, Mere Christianity. So um, in the excerpt exploring that in his book, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. Um, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man uh, and said that sort of thing, uh, or said the sort of thing that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man uh, was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something much worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying unlikely it may seem, I have, accepted, I ha- have to accept the view that he was and is God. So in this, in this excerpt, we see that, again, C.S. Lewis has this different switch in perspective, right? I mean, the non-Christian looks at Christ's claims and the claims of miracles and says, you know, that's nuts. Um, and again, it, it only leaves those two options open to us. Either he's crazy and he was lying, or he is God. Now, this different perspective also gives us uh, different um, feelings about other things as well. Um, we have a new type of love. Love means something different than it did before, in, in, in a sense. We have a compassion for our enemies. Um, we want and desire different things. Um, and, and most of all, the Bible, um, it holds all new meaning and different application for us. Uh, we look at the Bible differently. Um, we see that all the earth and all the creation in it cries out as evidence of God. Um, I mean, when I talk to atheists um, on the, the campus or if I'm, um, you know, out on the street and that, you know, they'll say, you know, oh, it, you know, I look at the fossil record and I see, you know, one thing. I see evolution and all this thing. And I, I see design and, and um, uh, a wondrous uh, plan at work. Um, so it does give us a different perspective. Now... That's nice, but unfortunately, this brings us some problems with the verse that we've just looked at in, in, in 2 Corinthians there. 
Christians are supposed to be all new creations. We're supposed to have an all new perspective. So when I look at my life, though, I still sin. I haven't changed totally. Also, I sin really bad sometimes, some of the things that I do, right? After all, 1 John 1.8 says, um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in that, in us. So what does that mean for the verse that we just looked at then? Because we're supposed to be a new creation, you know. Maybe we interpreted it wrong, you know. Then there's the other option that I've sometimes fallen into, you know, thinking, wondering, you know, well, maybe I'm not really saved then if I haven't changed that much. Well, it turns out that this isn't the case. Um, No one reaches sinless uh, perfection, okay? We always need Christ. Uh, A redeemed Christian is being sanctified, which is a fancy term for being, for called for being made holy, okay? There's an interesting saying about um, the whole process of salvation, and it says the Christian is saved, is being saved, and will be saved all at the same time, okay? And this references three different factors uh, in our salvation. Um, first of all, it, we have justification. So the minute you put your faith in Jesus, you're declared righteous. You're justified in God, uh, to God. Then there's a second facet, which is sanctification. This is the process of becoming what we have been declared, which is justified or righteous. So sanctification is the process of becoming righteous. And then we have glorification. And glorification is uh, what we experience. It's a means of experiencing um, righteousness. Okay? Sometimes it's misunderstood in the church um, that the gospel is only for the unbelievers and those who aren't saved. But in fact, the gospel is for the saved as well. Um, It continues to be a large part of our life, and it should be. Um, Now, why is this? Because Christ's action on the cross is the only thing that frees us from our old nature and our old way of life, giving us that new creation. As we mature as Christians, we should sin less and less. Uh, And when we do sin, um, every time that we fall, even if it's the same sin over and over again, we should hate it more and more and with a, a growing passion. Now, the way I think about that is I think in a sports terminology. So I play soccer. I play, and since I've been a young, a young lad, I've been playing goalie. So I play the goalkeeper. Now, when I started, I was having fun out there. You know, no matter what, I won, lost. It didn't really matter, you know. And when I stopped the ball as the goalie, now that was awesome, okay? I could stop the ball like once in a game and lose 20 to nothing, and I would think I was the best player on the team, and I was the best player, you know. But as I played more and more, I did some training, I learned some more techniques and stuff, you know, suddenly stopping the ball once, you know, wasn't that great. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make some more, you know, saves, like the, the ones I saw on TV and that. And uh, if I lost, it was okay as long as I kept... The score close, you know, as long as we only lost by one or two goals. Um, that was okay. Then, when you get to a professional level, which unfortunately I never made it to, <laughs> um, your only job is to stop the ball. 
And I don't know if you've ever seen any of the, or how, much, how many sports you watch, but any goalie in any sport, you know, their team can be up 10 to nothing. And if they let in that goal, they think it's the end of the world. They get extremely angry. And why is that? Because that's their only job. That's why they're getting paid. That's why they're there, is to stop the ball. They hate it when they let that ball in. No matter how unstoppable it may have been, they hate it with passion. That's kind of like how maturing as a Christian is. You know, we start off and, and we have little victories. And then we move on and, and we learn some more and we, we train some more. And the gospel works through us. And, and slowly we, we, should mature, we mature and sin less and less. So what about, you know, you could be sitting here and saying, okay, that's great, except that I feel like I'm falling back into sin and backsliding. Well, that's, that is totally common. I myself have experienced that as well. So we have to kind of define what we mean by backsliding because there's a few different interpretations. But in general, the type of backsliding that we would consider is a crisis of faith, okay? Maybe a loved one has died. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Um, maybe there's a job loss and you're sitting there thinking, like, how could this be? You know, Christ, um, where is God working? I don't see it. And then you fall into a pattern of sin again, maybe sin that you've tried to give up and, and just keeps coming back. This isn't new. Uh, it happened in the Bible. Uh, in fact, it even happened to the apostles. They had their own crisis of faith. Uh, faith. In Mark 14, 27, um, Jesus sa- uh, it says, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So backsliding events do happen, and they do happen. They happen to the apostles, and they will continue to happen. But... They're being used. They're being used to perfect and mature you in your faith. And that's the, the concept that we, we need to understand. We, need, we have a human perspective, and it isn't God's perspective. God has a much greater perspective. It's very hard um, and impossible in most cases to know the ending point of where some event will lead you. Uh, I mean, some of you might be sitting here and never have thought you would have been sitting here before. Um, I love the illustration that uh, Ravi Zacharias uses um, for um, this kind of uh, perspective on things and and how we have a a very limited perspective. Um, He tells of a man who owns a single prize stallion, and this prize stallion um, runs away from the owner into the wild. The neighbor comes over and says to him, well, that was really unlucky that your horse ran away. And... uh, a week later, uh, the prized stallion returns, and he brings, he brings with him 20 equally prized wild horses. And they're just beautiful, and they come, and the, the owner puts them in his pen. And uh, the neighbor comes over and says, wow, that's really lucky that he actually came back and brought all those horses with him. You know, the next week, the son's out training the wild horses, and he gets kicked. And he breaks his leg. The neighbor comes walking over and says, oh, that's a real bummer that those wild horses came and then, you know, because your son had to train them, they kicked him and broke his leg. A little while later, a gang comes to town and looks to force all the able-bodied um, young men to join. But he pa- they pass over the son because he has a broken leg. And the neighbor comes back and says, well, it's lucky that your son's leg was broken because he didn't get forced into that gang. You see, it all depends on the ending event, and where you're looking at it from. 
a great example of this is uh, the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk really resonates with me because he's a very similar person to me. Um, Habakkuk, uh, he wants to know exactly what's going on and what's happening. He thinks he knows it all. Um, and he likes to point out a bunch of things that are wrong. Okay? And that, that is, as my parents can attest, that's uh, me to a T. Um, basically, the book goes, and, and Habakkuk um, sits there, and um, he, uh, he, he, he has these complaints to God. And, and uh, he complains, and he says, Ah, you know, these, what are you doing up there? My nation, Judah, is, they're sinning like crazy. Um, it's totally evil. You're not doing anything about it. And God comes back to him and basically says, you know, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, in Habakkuk, it goes on to say that, basically, that God was going to use the Babylonians, um, a a far more wicked nation, to straighten out Judah in the time. And this really didn't, you know, Habakkuk didn't really understand that. He's thinking, yeah, but we're supposed to be your chosen people. We're better than the Babylonians, and you're going to raise the Babylonians up and then use them? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so he tries again. He tries to argue with God again. And God, you know, sets it aside and says, no, you all will get your just desserts. I will punish, uh, he basically sets out that he will punish, um, he, he will punish both nations equally for, or they, he will punish them for their evil actions uh, as they need to be. And Habakkuk learned through this that although he may not fully understand um, everything that's going on and working together, that he needed to have faith in God, that God would work it out, and God is just. Um, and has a reason um, for for these uh, these events. We need, just like Habakkuk, we need to trust that God knows what we're going through and understands how to perfect us in our faith. Um, why we're going through that uh, the backsliding events or or a crisis of faith. So, in conclusion, basically, uh, though we may sin and even have crisis of of faith sometimes, our newly created nature isn't a slave to this old sin as we were before. Um, There are a few verses in Romans, basically, that outline this. Uh, Romans 6, 6 6-7 says, uh, We know that our old self uh, was crucified with him uh, in order that the body of sin might be brought uh, to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And Romans 6, uh, 12, uh, 11 to 12 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God, in Christ. Je- uh, Jesus, let not sin uh, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So because of this miraculous and creative work that God has worked inside of the Christian and inside of us, um, we have the power to choose uh, not to sin, and to continue to grow in the gospel and grow closer to him, proclaiming his glory, while marveling at all the new perspective that he's granted upon us at his will. Um, I'm just closing a lo- uh, word of prayer, and then the uh, priest can get back up. 
So, dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you uh, today, and we just we thank you for this uh, amazing opportunity that we have um, to have a new perspective. Um, we just ask that you grant us uh, this new uh, perspective in everything that we do. Um, just help that everything uh, speaks to us uh, in a new way, uh, in the way that uh, will make us closer to you, uh, will work us uh, towards uh, being righteous, um, with the final, uh, the final act being uh, to glorify you. Uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.